Hi, hi everyone. So nice to see so many of you today. Welcome to Atelier Two Cities. If you want to know about how Goldman Sachs is migrating to the cloud, you're in the right room. So before I explain what we'll talk about today, let me introduce myself. I am Vicky Leda. I grew up in Italy, in Milan specifically, and then I went to college in the UK, and I lived in the UK for a few years before relocating to New York last year. And I work in the Investment Research Engineering Division at Goldman Sachs. Um, to be honest, I'm pretty happy to be here today, because just a year ago, you and I attended AWS reInvent, and were so energized and determined to, make the, determined to make it to the cloud. I'm actually really happy that a year later, we're here to talk about um, our journey and, and what we've done. And today I'll be presenting with my colleague and friend, Yun. Hi, everyone. My name is Yun. Um, I grew up in China. I currently work in core engineering, which is the platform team in Goldman Sachs. We work with all the divisions in Goldman Sachs, providing shared firmware infrastructure. So this is where we're presenting a work we've done together with investment research engineering on AWS migration. Uh, a little bit about myself. Um, I started, like, I remember when I was young age, at age eight, it was a really long time ago in China. My dad got me um, a computer, it's like a tiny one, and I was able to, uh, he was trying to teach himself how to write programs, and he threw me a video games uh, at me, and I was really fascinated by the computer games. And, and as a child, I always wanted to win, so I started trying to hack around the games, do some, some hacks decoder, try to change the parameters, and make the, like myself getting an edge. So I get started getting passionate about computer science, how computer works, and I came to the United States for my doctor's degree, specializing in compilers and architecture. Um, I found in Goldman Sachs engineering there's so many really interesting, challenging problems to solve, and cloud adoption has been one of them, and I'm so proud that we have a chance to talk with you guys about it today. So I tell two cities. Has anyone read the book? Oh, quite a few people. Uh, the title is actually very fitting. So today we're going to talk about a migration story. So this is not a greenfield project. It's not a new business. We're taking an existing business, investment research, and we're migrating it to AWS, which means that as part of this journey, we're maintaining two different cities, on-premise and AWS. And this comes with significant challenges, which we'll talk about today. So let me spend 30 seconds on investment research. So investment research is a business unit within Goldman Sachs. And the investment research division provides research insights and trade recommendations to clients across the globe. There's about 1,000 research analysts who cover over 3,000 stocks and 40 economies. And the way we reach our clients is through a variety of different means. So we, we reach our clients through different distribution channels, our primary one being our investment research portal, which we set up about a couple of years ago. And one of its primary characteristics is that it needs to be available 24 by 7, 365 days a year. 
This is a really tall order. And one of the key drivers for us sort of pushing us to AWS. So you why don't you tell us why we moved to, or made a decision to move to AWS? That's a great question. Like, why do we move to AWS? Um, the other question is, why don't we build it ourselves? So for many of you probably already know, either you have been running your own data center, you're trying to run an application in your data center your own. It's so hard to run a data center right. You have to make sure that you have network, you have network outages, you have uh, some computers just go down out of rack spaces, like you name it. And Amazon has been doing this so well in the last many years. So why don't we just partner with AWS to ask them to help us to build a 24-7 service? The second thing that when we started is that when we have AWS already has a bunch of managed services, we could leverage those services to help us to improve our resiliency, performance, and also security so that um, we don't have to reinvent the wheels. The third reason is also Amazon has a global deployment. So to help our research portal to reach all our customers globally with the best performance and resilience, AWS would be a really good choice for us to move to a cloud. So this all sounds amazing, but we have been living in New York City for so long. How do we ever get to a cloud? Like, how do we get the expertise, engineers, to actually get ourselves to the cloud? One of the things that came to my mind is, hey, so what's the other city that actually understands clouds best? Anyone know? Any guesses? Yes, yes Seattle. Seattle. <laughs> Seattle is a cloud city. So we started, or we jump-started ourselves with three different approaches. One is we actually have leveraged a Goldman Sachs firm-sponsored development environment. So this is an AWS account that Goldman Sachs sponsors. Our developers have access to. They can experiment and try new things and build prototypes of the applications and help them to actually jumpstart, understand how to use the AWS environments. The second thing is that we partnered with our Seattle uh, friends to um, set up training sessions like AWS Immersion Days. We partner with our solution architects to give us uh, advices, recommendations, and reviews of our architecture decisions. And we do a lot of experiments. And thirdly, we had a lot of support internally from our Goldman Sachs and other engineering teams. We had internal consultings, internal architects to give us advices. We also partner with technology risk teams, There's security engineers, there. and yeah, they're sitting right there. Wave. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you very much for giving us all the guidance and so help us to actually secure our environment and, and be up, uh, meet our regulatory and compliance requirements. And Vicky, why don't you tell us how we actually get there? So we can think about the journey in three different chapters or iterations. The first one we called Research Light, and it came about quite organically, I must admit. So we created a backup version of our investment research portal in AWS. And the way it worked is that in case of a crisis situation at Goldman Sachs, say a major networking outage, we were able to switch all our traffic from on-premise to AWS in a matter of a minute. 
And so at this point, Research Lite doesn't have all the fun sort of full functionality that our clients are used to, but it allows our business to carry on publishing research and reach our clients. So it fulfilled a really important role, and it allowed us to achieve our three nines of availability that we were looking for. And then the second chapter is about getting to parity, and so this is where we're building the new city, and we, we're, we're trying to match the, the, all the, the functionality that we built on premise. And at the end of the second chapter, we got to parity from a functional standpoint. So you couldn't really tell the difference between on-premise and AWS from a functional standpoint. Technically, a different story. And then the third chapter is about becoming primary. And this is where we're now. We're starting to redirect some of our traffic from on-premise to AWS. So let's uh, take a deep dive into the first chapter. Um, and we're introducing Research Light and achieving the resiliency that we're looking for. And so let me explain how our architecture looked like when we started. And so the, our research portal is backed by a content management system. This is a third party tool that we use. And alongside that, there's a ton of different microservices, the Java applications that we, that we wrote and, and developed. And we were, at this stage, live live across two data centers. We were reliant on many third-party products and also many GS or Goldman Sachs developed products. And one of the challenges we had at this stage was that all these microservices had very tight dependencies. And so, it was really difficult to pick one specific service and move it to the cloud because of the tight dependencies. And so before we even started our journey, we needed to do some re-engineering. And so we did three things. We moved to an event-based architecture. And you see in the diagram that we have Apache Kafka. This is what we call the backbone. All the microservices push events to, to a Kafka, and they also consume events from Kafka. So this allowed us to decouple all the microservices and identify slices of the stack we could move to AWS. That was number one. Number two, we moved to some AWS-friendly or AWS-ready uh, services. A really good example is our search index. We used to rely on Solar, and we decided to move to Elasticsearch. And this was a good decision because it allowed us to, it simplified our data migration at a later stage in the journey. And it also allowed us to share the same code base between on-premise and AWS. And this was key to our journey. And then the third point was the move away from uh, the monolithic deployments. And so we moved to a intraday, uh, small and quick deployment model that helped us uh, at a later stage. And so as we were getting our feet wet with AWS, we started to identify some guiding principles. So the first one, cloud first. So we wanted to avoid our lift and shift. We didn't want to take all the baggage that we accumulated on premise to AWS. But on the other hand, we need to be pragmatic. We, this is not a greenfield project, and we didn't have we couldn't rewrite everything from scratch. And so 
while we, we leverage a lot of cloud native capability, in certain situations we made a decision to do a lift and shift. The second one, infrastructure as code. This was a huge game changer. So on premise, in order to um, provision, say, a database, it would take people and it would take days. We heavily invested in Terraform to automate all of our infrastructure setup. And any infrastructure change would go through an SDLC process. Our developers do not have access to the AWS console. So they cannot make a change to an Elasticsearch configuration or an Aurora uh, setting. It has to go through an SDLC process and it has to go through code reviews. And then the third pillar was security. It goes without saying we're a bank. This was a massive area of focus for us. And while we were able to leverage a lot of the out-of-the-box security capabilities that AWS leverages, we had to invest a lot in tooling, from vulnerability scanning tools to um, protection against attacks, and, and also more sort of detection at the time of the code commit. So we could easily identify a security gap at the time the developer was sort of committing the, the code. So at the end of the first chapter, this is at a very high level what we looked like. So on the uh, left-hand side is on-premise. And then on the right-hand side, we had our very first iteration on AWS. And so let's take a scenario where there's a big networking outage. And so what we would do in, through our CDN, we use Akamai, we would redirect all the traffic to AWS. And at this point, we would hit AWS WAF, an application load balancer, and finally, our content management system that serves up to all the content. And we decided to use Amazon S3 as our storage solution. And we fell in love with it, to be honest. Um, a good example is, last weekend, we did an upgrade of our content management system. And as part of this upgrade, we needed to back up and restore the data. It's about 1.9 terabyte of data. On premise, because we're reliant on network storage. It took, I want to say, 19 hours. On S3, it took 10 minutes. What a game changer. So let's take a deeper look at the architecture in this phase. And so in the middle of the picture, you see our VPC. This is our investment research VPC that we created. And we had two private subnets where our content management system lived. And it, um, we hosted it on EC2 instances at this point. And let's talk about how data actually got to the cloud from on-premise. So every time there's a data change or a new event, we will publish it to both on-premise and AWS at the same time through our Kafka backbone. And so at any point in time, the two cities were in sync from a data standpoint. And as Vicky said, it took us as a collaboration between core engineering and the investment research, we actually were able to do what all Vicky just described in four months' time. And a huge success, a proof of success, is that within two months, two weeks of release, we actually put it in use. And it helped us to uh, serve our clients with 99.99 availability. And you can see on this diagram that we have been consistently meeting our requirements with a change. So, now we've done the first stage, we close the chapter one, we're moving on to chapter two, 
which is trying to achieve functional parity for research portal on AWS versus on-prem. So Vicky, I guess since we did the first one in two, in four months, the second one should be easier, right? We jump started. I wish. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> it is, turns out, we actually, when we actually start looking into what exactly it takes to reach functional parity, it, there's still a very long way to go. Just give you a few examples of the problems we had to solve. Authentication and authorization are the key to our services. We definitely want to know who is accessing us and what they allowed to access. And we also need to make sure this is consistent with the on-prem deployments. Um, other services include in, in the research portal like financial numbers, personalization, and uh, client preferences. All these services would also require the data to be in sync with on-prem deployments and versus one on AWS. So to solve these problems, we, uh, we need to do, make a lot of technology decisions, and some of them are trickier than others. So Vicky, can you tell us uh, some of the decisions you have to make? Okay, so let's talk about the first one. So we, we needed to make a decision on managed services. Historically, we've always liked to sort of control and own all the underlying infrastructure, but the idea of a managed service was really attractive. We're a small engineering division, and so you know, reduction in operational overhead was really attractive. Uh, time to market was really attractive, and also explicit SLAs. But on the other hand, we need to, we need to think about some of the, the drawbacks. Um, potentially, you know, we would you know, tie ourselves to individual providers and we'll lose final control on the infrastructure. And potentially a cost. The cost aspect was also something to consider. However, we made a decision to go all in with managed services and no regrets, I must admit. We use managed services for API routing with API Gateway for our Search index, we use Amazon Elasticsearch. Database, we use Amazon Aurora Postgres, and many more. And we're also able to mitigate some of the drawbacks. So for example, the, the idea of tying ourselves to an individual provider was a concern. And we decided to introduce sort of abstraction layers between the service and the underlying data store. So if tomorrow, we decided to move from Amazon Aurora to, say, Dynamo or Mongo, we could do that quite easily. Okay, the next design decision was around serverless versus containers. This was a huge this sort of discussion point for us. So on one side, serverless, super attractive because we didn't have to worry about infrastructure provisioning. The SDLC was very light and time to market would have been really quick, but it can get complex very quickly, and we wouldn't be able to reuse the same code base between on-premise and AWS. On the other hand, containers, you know, the attraction was the shareability of the code, but you know, it introduced a lot of operational overhead. We didn't want to be in the business of supporting containers. And so for the vast majority of our services, we decided to go with another option, which I'll introduce shortly. But we did use serverless for a number of different things, from ETL transformation jobs to simple workflows. And we use containers for certain third-party products. But the biggest win for us was discovering AWS Fargate. And we discovered it actually at last year's reInvent. I remember we got back 
from reInvent and experimented with it immediately. And it was a game changer. We fell in love with it. So we know instances to manage. We could do automatic scaling. And we would, it allowed us to share the same code base across on-premise and AWS. Huge win. And also integrated very nicely with um, other AWS products, from CloudWatch, Dexra, you name it. So we made a decision then to go all in with AWS Fargate for the vast majority of our microservices. We had to figure out how to actually deploy code to it. So this is where we take over. Um, Vicky made a wish, and we'll make it true. Um, <laughs> Isn't that always the case? <laughs> That's always the case. Um, so we're going to here talk about a little bit about the software development lifecycle for how we supported uh, ECS and Fargate and still maintain the same code base across on-prem and AWS. So how it works actually it works like the diagrams on the right. Um, just going to talk you through this. So developers in GS will still commit their code to Git just like they always do. And they will also, once they did through the Git, the artifacts will be uploaded to the on-prem repository to, for storage, and that works exactly the same way as it used to be. And things start to split off from there. Um, then after that, we'll use Terraform to upload the artifacts onto S3. So then at that point, the artifacts will live on AWS and we'll take it from there. So S3 uploads will trigger a code pipeline, and that means that the code build will actually build this container image based on artifacts that we pulled from on-prem and push that build container image into ECR. And that also, when it finishes, it triggers the code pipeline to deploy the image we, build, we put in ECR onto our uh, Fargate and ECS. So that, in that way, we are able to have developer only checking once, same code base, but still able to run in both places in the same way. And so after we're done with that, now next to your next wish, what did you have to decide next, Wiki? So the, the next uh, point was about open source. So historically, we haven't used a lot of open source, and we actually haven't really contributed to a lot of open source code. But we had an interesting sort of problem space. We needed to solve the problem of client entitlements. And on premise today, we use a, an attribute-based uh, entitlement system, which is developed by Goldman Sachs. Now, surprisingly, as you move to AWS, there's not a ton of attribute-based entitlement solutions out there. However, we discovered Open Policy Agent last year at AWS, actually. And it worked like a treat. We could use it on-premise and AWS. And so we stood it up using Fargate. And we exposed its endpoints through API Gateway. And we used S3 as a storage solution for the policies. Let me tell you a little bit more about uh, Open Policy Agent, or OPA. You can, it comes with a very uh, neat sort of um, declarative language. So you can say things, uh, for this identity, I sort of cannot or can perform a certain operation on a certain resource. Uh, resource. And you can define all these rules and actually uh, treat them as any other piece of code. You can have unit tests against them and have a pro proper SDLC around them. And so it was uh, actually a pretty neat solution for our problem space. 
and it was our first really big use of an open source product. Um, and the good thing about Opal is that it also runs in different modes. So you can use it as a, as a library or a sidecar, and it comes with a lot of um, built-in APIs that really help you with uh, support and, uh, and debugging. Okay, so this is uh, at the end of chapter two, this is where we're reaching uh, parity between the two cities. This is what we looked like. And so again, on the left-hand side, we have Goldman Sachs. And then on the right-hand side, we have uh, AWS. And you see that uh, the architecture has evolved a lot since the first chapter. Firstly, you'll see that we've introduced Amazon API Gateway. And so this is how we route sort of uh, uh, all API calls. And we like it for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it's a managed service bonus. And secondly, it integrates very nicely with lambdas. And so you can um, hook into uh, lambdas for either verification or specific transformation steps. And you can do that very easily. And then in the middle layer, we have uh, the entitlements layer. We talked about open policy agent. And then all of our microservices in the middle, in orange, are running in Fargate. Now let's look at uh, the storage layer. So uh, I've already talked about S3. We also use Elasticsearch as a managed service. And one of the cool features that we're experimenting with right now is auto-scaling. So you can say with Elasticsearch, say the request time exceeds a certain sort of limit, and then you can auto-scale the Elasticsearch cluster automatically. Um, and then we use another couple of uh, managed services from Amazon Aurora as our sort of database, uh, as well as the uh, Kafka managed service. And this is our sort of backbone on AWS. And after we achieved that, we actually were able to reach a functional parity for research portal on prem versus on AWS. We've been in production for a while now. Um, the approach we have adopted is a hybrid one where we use con both containers and lambdas. So containers were used for most third party uh, products, some of the Java services that we want to maintain a same code base across. Lambda functions were used for various workflows that we have to do for, uh, for the AWS de deployments. And the, really the key part of the success is that we are we're able to maintain the same code base across that made our migration so much easier, so much more reliable. So next, since we did that, it was amazing. Like it's a lot of uh, cheers and, and, and celebrations, but we're not done yet, right? We still need to move to one city. So the next chapter is for us to go primary on AWS. So to, to achieve that, we can just review with you guys where the Research Portal is at this moment as we speak. We have been uh, redirecting live traffic for research uh, for part of the services. And you can see in the diagrams on the right-hand side, which is the AWS architecture, the orange lines are the services we are redirecting to AWS as primary services. And some of the services are still directed onto um, on-prem services and we're in the process of migrating them off. So to read just high level how we are doing this migration, we are going to move selected components as to primarily on AWS services. And the next step is we're gonna redirect all the traffic is, traffic that we've to the portal to AWS deployments and we only fail over to on-prem deployments when we need to. 
Then the third stage, which is where we really want to get to, is that we could deploy multiple regions in AWS, reach our edge customers more effectively, and don't have to feel over to on-premise and be truly cloud native. To achieve that, actually, it sounds like, okay, so this is, sounds like easy, we have three steps, it's journey, but actually, to actually do that, there's a long checklist that we have to achieve. I'm not gonna bore you all guys with all the details on every single thing we put there, there's just a, a, a illustration. <laughs> it's an illustration <laughs> of uh, how complex that is. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I think there's three very important uh, things we need to keep in mind. One is operation. To be functioning primarily on AWS, operation is the key of how we're gonna be production worthy. So SOs, monitoring, alerting, that has been a key factor. We're gonna talk about the tools we used in a minute. SDLC, how do we make sure that we make not a deployment that's gonna destroy the primary deployments on AWS? Like these are the, the things, continuous testing, continuous deployment, and that's important. And, and security has always been our focus. Um, we are putting in runtime and pre-deployment and post-deployment checks and working with our technology risk all the time to make sure that we're, our environments are secured. Um, and obviously, one thing that we should never, never overlook is the cost. We have to really look into deep how much it's gonna cost us to run these, these services and how we can optimize them for our workloads. Um, and one of the uh, important um, part of this operation and security that we have been spent a lot of time on is trying to make sure how do we make sure our developers don't have production accesses. So, um, Vicky, do you want to talk about how we did that? Sure, so um, we have a strict zero production access policy. So this means if there's a production issue, our developers cannot log on to the AWS console or cannot sort of query a database directly. This is a real challenge to achieve. It's very difficult. And so we did a couple of things to, to achieve this goal. We have regular uh, tests running in production constantly, every minute. And we, we test all the critical functionality. As soon as one of those tests fails, we know that there's an issue that we, and we can react very quickly. And then we had a, a library of pre-approved scripts that would help us in the event of a production issue. Um, and it could be simple things like a script to query our Aurora database, for example, or grep a specific log. And these pre-approved scripts would go through a sort of an SDLC process, then code reviews, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the, the risk was pretty minimal. We invested very heavily in tooling, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, both for production support, debugging, uh, infrastructure monitoring, you name it. And lastly, blue-green deployments was absolutely fundamental because it really reduced the risk at the time of a new release. We were able to switch between environments very easily. Okay, so we switched over to AWS for certain services, and results were very positive from the get-go. And this picture shows actually um, what it looked like before and after when we moved over from our search service on-premise to our search service on AWS. And so on the left-hand side, you can see the response time on-premise. 
152 milliseconds on average. We move to our search service hosting AWS, 72 milliseconds on average. Cut it in half, right? Yeah. And then in the bottom picture, you can see the difference in terms of sort of uh, reliability before and after. And so you see around the sort of 23rd of uh, October, we switched over. And the, the response and reliability of the search service on AWS has completely changed. Yeah, and the, the response time has also remained more consistent than like a lot less spikes than we have seen before. So to achieve this, um, it's actually much harder than it, the, the diagrams shows. We actually had to invest a lot in our operations and security tooling. Just to give you guys a, a high level ideas of the tools and investment we have made in this space to support the primary AWS deployments. So there's five topics. One is infrastructure monitoring. We always want to know when your infrastructure fails or something is not behaving right. And we actually used CloudWatch, Amazon CloudWatch as our baseline. Everything is tied into CloudWatch. But we also laid on top Datadog, which has been our really useful infrastructure monitoring, tooling, and dashboarding. And application-wise, we did Datadog and AppDynamics com combination that helps us to gain insights into the application's performance um, and get better alerting if something goes wrong. Security-wise, we have Guard Duty, which has been supported by firm-wide core engineering teams to monitor the security of the accounts and all the, all the resources in the accounts. We also have the signal signs that helps us to do the runtime monitoring of the security. Logs-wise, Splunk has been our friends, and they are really powerful and fully featured for our use cases. Um, we used Splunk for our logs and discoveries and research in logs. Um, and, and the last but not least, all these alerting and monitoring, they tie into PagerDuty, where it allows our operation engineers able to re get notified and react to any issues as quickly as possible. And these are really the, the game changer for us to actually support and being operational on AWS. It's fair to say that we, we invested in tooling a little bit too late in the process. Yeah, we're going to have uh, lessons learned, and we'll talk about all the mistakes we have made. It all looks great so here. Be <laughs> um, so yeah, this is something that we shared with kind of end results, but um, we have made a bunch of It was of a, definitely a journey. <laughs> a journey. Um, to, um, at the epilogue of this whole book, A Tale of Two Cities, we want to recap um, the principles that we have set up at the beginning of the journey and how we have been like, following the same principles throughout. Three pillars that we have decided at front and has been really benefiting from them. One, at design stage, you want to leverage managed resources as much as possible at open source. That helps you to reduce your operation overhead. It helps you, using open source helps you to maintain the same code base on-prem and AWS. Um, we want to adopt a truly cloud-native approach. Means that you don't want to do just lift and shift, and in that way you will not be able to leverage what AWS really gives you. And using a cloud-native approach might mean that you need to re-architect or re-platform some of your applications, and that is 
definitely beneficial long run. Security is always your first concern when you are designing anything. Building security is something that you want to do upfront. SDLC-wise, infrastructure as code, Vicky mentioned at the beginning, we want to, we don't want anyone to go into console, click around, it's easy, but it's not good for you long term. So we want to make sure that we have reusable modules, we can use all infrastructure as code, it's reproducible, if your favorite guy is on vacation, we can still redeploy. Um, continuous integration and continuous deployment also has been a key for us to be able to go primary on AWS. Operation-wise, we also just talked about the third chapter of this journey. I'm not gonna repeat here, but I think we just want to highlight that we want to make sure you have zero production access so that your environment is more reliable and blue-green deployment. And one important thing that about environment repaving and defined service level were something, these things were something that we were not able to achieve with our just on-prem uh, deployments in the past due to the lack of tooling and service level definition. But however, we are able to actually achieve this with our journey to AWS. And now, Vicky, why don't you talk about something that uh, we are, um, more than just about AWS or writing code. Yeah, it was definitely a lot more than just learning about the cloud and um, AWS. If you think about it, from a developer standpoint, as soon as you move to the cloud, as the average developer is gonna be responsible for a lot more than they used to be. From networking, security, to sort of the operational um, support. And so this was definitely a big sort of cultural shift and something that we're still, to be honest, adapting to. Um, and so we invested also a lot in practices and patterns to make sure that we had sort of safe guards around uh, our SDLC so that protected the developers a little bit more. And we invested very heavily in tooling. Too late, we did it too late, I think. I'm gonna be honest about that, but, but uh, but it's, now that we're there, I think it's really paying off and it's really helping uh, our journey. So, so just to highlight a bunch of the lessons we learned, and um, I'm gonna start with my favorite ones and then Vicky will talk about her favorite ones. The first one that my favorite is like, we need a lot of tools to help us to get on this journey. And we kind of did it too late. We kind of were only doing tools and discovery, implementation, integration last minute. Oh, I want to use that software, that service. Actually, how do I get there? If we ever were able, were able to invest in tooling, help us to do migration, security, monitoring early, that could have helped the uh, migration. We did it anyways, but recommendation for everyone here is that if you're in the journey, better invest in tooling. The second one, I think, is also my favorite. I can't really tell which one is my best, but um, networking, computer networking. Um, as a software developer, uh, myself included, has always had the luxury not to have to worry about networks or network security. Someone else is running your data center, they set up a network, they set up firewalls. You don't really have to worry about your nice traffic being and out. Yeah, exactly. It's like you just worry about your Java or C++ code, and if it works, perfect. Now we have been on AWS, and we own like investment research on their own accounts. Now developers looking at the whole account, like, 
oh, we need to set up our VPCs. Oh, and what is a public subnet and what is a private subnet again? Like, how do we control our internet egress and ingress? How do we do firewalls? So this has been quite challenging for like everyone that's been part of the journey. So pick up your textbook, read about computer networking, read about the Amazon menus. It's so easy to get things wrong. And there are many tools help you to discover what you did wrong, but still you want to define your, your control own fate. So please polish your networking skills. Um, Next one is my favorite. I'm definitely guilty of this. So it's really easy to get distracted by all the new AWS services and products that come out all the time. I get so excited. But it's really important to really stick to your goal, stick to your design decisions and implementation decisions. But, you know, it, it's a bit of a balancing act because you also need to um, be open to experiment a little. Um, and then carrying on from that, it, it's okay to fail. We did it a lot. But it's really important to really learn quickly and, and recover really even faster. I think our first production deployment took 18 tries. Yeah, well, I remember that. Um, it was a long night, not fun. To be fair, the second deployment was much better. Yeah. yeah. And then from a security standpoint, um, a lot of AWS products come with built-in security um, capabilities. But especially sort of in the financial industry, they're likely not enough. And so you really have to be proactive about your um, your requirements, A, understanding your requirements, but also proactive about your customization of some of the AWS products so that you can supplement with additional tooling or processes. And then lastly, I think it was, you'll find as you migrate to the cloud, if you haven't done that already, that it's very easy to have quick wins. We celebrated a lot in the beginning. But actually, to get to done done is a completely different story. Yeah, I also want to mention that as an enterprise scale, application teams is actually all about the team efforts. How you actually work with your infrastructure team, work with your network team, work with your security engineers to actually be able to develop something that is more general for everyone else to use at enterprise scale so that not everyone have to reinvent the wheels and you will be able to benefit from continuous support and development from other teams has been really essential. Okay, so what's next? So we don't really want to be in this business of managing two cities. It's not fun. <laughs> we want to move to one city. And so right now, as I said earlier, we have some traffic going to AWS now. And in the next couple of months, we want to be 100% uh, on AWS. We're also starting to experiment with multi-region deployments. And specifically, the use case here is to improve the, the client experience. We have a lot of clients, for example, in Asia, and right now our infrastructure is mainly based in the US, and so we want to get closer to our clients. And so that's what we're experimenting with right now. Um, we're taking an AWS first approach now, so any new capability, any new business requirement, we're taking it as an opportunity to really implement in AWS first and not have to do this migration process for everything. And then lastly, you know, next year we want to demise our on-premise uh, infrastructure, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about it next year at this conference. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Yeah, that, that concludes our talk. Thank you very much for everyone who attend here. I hope you best of luck in your cloud migration. It's fun. Um, it's going to be fun, and we hope that we'll see you guys next year as well. Um, here, please don't, rem don't forget to fill the uh, survey for the session, and we'll be happy to talk with you guys offline. If anyone has any questions, about we're happy what, to talk. Yeah, yeah. About what your approach is and share our experiences. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you.